Thanks to Audible for supporting Industry Focus. For a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial, go to audible.com slash fool or text fool to 500-500. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Wednesday, January 3rd, 2018. I'm your host, Christine Hargis, and I'm joined via Skype by healthcare expert Todd Campbell. Todd, Happy New Year. Did you get some quality family time in over the holidays? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I don't know about how cold it is down there at at World HQ, but uh, we just stayed we stayed nice and quiet, relaxed, stayed inside the house. It's just it's just too cold up here in New Hampshire to go anywhere. I I feel like I I should complain about how cold it is in Alexandria, Virginia, but it's got to be worse by you. Oh, well, you know, I know we are the healthcare podcast, but, you know, I can't help but think with all the oil that I'm burning through heating my home that I should be uh, hedging some of that exposure by buying some <laughs> energy stocks. Yeah, seriously. I turned my fireplace on this morning for the first time all year. Oh, first time all year. Yeah. No, you <laughs> You're can't... like, tell me about it. I've been doing that for months. <laughs> <laughs> you can't complain. <laughs> So uh, it's the new year, as we mentioned, and so we thought that today's episode we would do a little bit more reflecting on 2017, which (laughs) you're probably all groaning because we just did that on the last two shows, but different take on it uh, for this show. We're doing the top performing healthcare stocks from the S&P 500 throughout the year 2017. So we'll be highlighting the top three stocks by performance in the S&P 500, which is the 500 largest U.S. companies by market cap. And so that means that it's companies that are at least Six billion in size, so you're not going to hear a lot of the tiny biotechs that Todd, you and I love talking about. But it's definitely larger, more established companies that still had killer returns in 2017. Yeah, I think it's re- it's relevant, right, Christine? I mean, it was a remarkable year for the S and P 500 last Seriously, year. Seriously, total return of 22. percent uh, That's just you don't see many of those, and I've got the gray hair to prove it. Uh, <laughs> You know, you don't see many of those. And the, the stocks that we're going to be talking about today, which a lot of people will own in their portfolios, even if they're not healthcare investors, right? Because they are part of the S&P 500. And I know a lot of our listeners uh, probably have an S&P 500 index fund somewhere in the retirement portfolios or whatever. So this is going to be relevant to them. And it's also going to be relevant to, you know, the healthcare listeners, because these three stocks are not necessarily the three that may jump to mind as being... Um, stocks that are front and center in your in your mind when you think of the industry of the sector. Yeah, and even when you think of the top performers, like when I got this list from you, I was like, really? It's it's those. I mean, I was thinking, of course, it's going to be three biotechs that had crazy clinical trial results and they grew 800% overnight. But as I mentioned, these are kind of larger stocks in size, and so they're not the pre-commercial stage biotechs. They're actually only one of them is even a, a a biotech at all. One of them is a medical device maker, and the other one is an insurer. Yeah, I know. Remarkable. And we'll get get dive into how weird this is, especially with that insurer later on in the show, I'm sure, uh, especially what we were anticipating coming into 2017. Um, but, you know, yeah, it's it's a really intri- interesting list of, of names. And what's really kind of wild is when you think about the returns that these things generated. I mean, yeah, the S&P was up at a remarkable 20 percent, but the returns of these stocks trounced the S&P. Mm-hmm. So the first one on our list is Align Technologies. That's ticker ALGN. They were up 132.3%. This is the aforementioned medical device maker. They are trying to disrupt the world of braces, which it's an admirable mission, but like for some reason in my head, this is just 
kind of a, a, a comical stock to me. Like, who really thinks too much about braces? Unless you're a kid with braces or a parent paying for your kid to have braces or an adult going through the process of braces. It's just not something that you think about day to day. But it turns out there's a huge market for this, and they're trying to totally overhaul the the system of the metal and the wiring and, and all the constant tweaking and the pain that comes with traditional braces. Right. People probably don't know the name Align Technology, but they may very well know the name of their product, Invisalign. Yeah, and Invisalign, the- it's like Band-Aid. Like, it is the brand name when it comes to invisible dental corrective wear. Right, right. I mean, think about that, right? I mean, you have these metal braces. They're big. They look something with prehistoric, like in medieval ages, torture room or something, right? And now you've got this product that you can put on your teeth that will straighten your teeth that's clear and it's not so noticeable. You can take a selfie and have it not... <laughs> You know, glinting with flashbulb lights, you know, I mean, it's 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 a very uh, disruptive uh, product and it's not a new product. It's been around for years, Christine, but I think in 2017, people finally woke up to the story of just how big the market is for metal braces and how disruptive this could be, not just in North America, you know, U.S., but globally. I mean, this is a global company. Yeah, I think the company itself kind of opened its eyes to the real opportunity here. When they first started out, they were only focused on adults in the United States. And now they're starting to expand that vision a little bit. They're they're looking internationally, as you mentioned. China just overtook Canada as their largest market. Meanwhile, they're still pursuing Canada very heavily. They opened an office there in August. And they're looking at other countries as well. Um, they're also looking at teens. Teens are increasing as a portion of their total patients that are using the Invisalign product. And that's not to say that the adult population isn't growing. And this, this one's particularly interesting to me because I think the teen market is even harder to enter since it's the parents' pay. And, you know, as as a parent, you might not, I say that like I'm a parent, I'm not a parent. If I were a parent, I don't know if I would trust my teen to use Invisalign properly. I mean, it's a device that you can take out. And so there is a compliance factor here. But they've been doing really well marketing to teens and their parents and expanding that addressable patient population. Yeah. And you know what, Christine? I mean, I think the two big trends of 2017 that helped catapult the stock higher were indeed China and teens. Those mm-hmm. two, I just think about the patient, the population, the addressable market in China. It's huge. And as that country gets wealthier, more and more um, people are, are going to start, you know, looking at these kind of vanity kind of things, which, you know, how straight are my teeth? You know, with the teen markets, it's, it's kind of interesting, too, because I mean, when you think of Invisalign or when I do, I think of it when it first came out. And like you said, it was for adults. It was for, you know, repairing or, or straightening teeth that weren't really that crooked. You know, it was it was kind of a niche product. Well, over the course of the last few years, they've made, you know, advances in the technology. And that's now allowing these things to be used, like you said, in more and more complex cases, including in teens. You know, one of the just I wanted to highlight this because I think that this is just kind of you know, is a good example of, of how the innovation is driving demand for this. They now have the ability to be able to not only straighten teeth, but also to adjust the lower jaw. And, you know, that kind of complexity, I mean, previously, you know, you, you know, you couldn't use an Invisalign for something like that. You know, it's estimated that 30 to 45 percent of teens require both teeth straightening and the movement of the jaw. And that was just something that couldn't be addressed before by Invisalign. And, you know, now it can be. 
you know, I think they're still waiting for an FDA go ahead for for here. But, you know, I think this is available in Canada and, and elsewhere on the, on the planet. And I would imagine it'll be available here very soon. So I and then you, you mentioned about, you know, the cost being prohibitive and and, you know, they're you know, this is a smart company. They're doing things to try and overcome that obstacle, too. You know, we've got a pilot program out there right now to uh, that allows, you know, provides third party financing. So they're not taking on a bad debt expense risk or anything like that. They're just using a third party to finance this stuff. And, you know, that that helps to remove an obstacle um, to adoption. And, you know, as they're doing that, they're selling more and more cases of Invisalign. It's an expensive product. And like most of these companies, when volume rises and you can leverage that against your fixed costs, you get greater profitability. So you've got a company that's growing gangbusters, uh, you know, 30 something percent year over year top line revenue growth. That's also now generating greater, bigger and bigger operating margins. Operating margins are in the 25 percent range and that's up about 3 percent year over year. Yeah, and that's that strong brand name right there. I mean, they have pricing power. Braces in general are not cheap. You know, you, you think about insurance coverage. Most people in the U.S. don't have great insurance coverage, and so if you're covered at all for braces, maybe it's going to be fifty percent coinsurance, probably more than that. And so, in general, these types of procedures are things that people are very used to spending thousands of dollars on. And so I think when you are already going to have that sort of line item in your your medical expenses for the year, and you look at how much more comfortable and the aesthetics of this, and that you can have less food restrictions because you can take them out, I can see why, particularly a lot of adults who will often not be covered for braces at all by insurance if you're over the age of 18, will turn to Invisalign. Yeah, and the other thing we should probably mention too is that you know they make the scanners that the orthodontists can use now to, I guess, map out the mouth and figure out what kind of a treatment plan they should be using with Invisalign. And those scanners, sales of those scanners are rising really rapidly too. So you've got to imagine that as more of those scanners get embedded in, in these offices, that you're just going to get naturally tailwinds toward demand and use of Invisalign by these practices. You know, so that's so it's a it's a really nice. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of a weird twist on on razor and blade model, but it's it's a nice symbiotic relationship. We sell you the scanner, and then now you selling the scanner, you can drive volume for the Invisalign to all of all of your patients. The thing that's really remarkable about this company, and full disclosure, I own it, and so I was very fortunate this past year to to, to but I've had to own it since 2014. Um, the really thing that's interesting to me about this story is that they really still have a lot of running room. You know, they estimate their market share of all the patients they can treat globally at just 8%. That's crazy. Yeah. That's so think really about they're nuts. growing 38% on the top line year over year in the most recent quarter. They're probably going to go 30% roughly at the midpoint year over year in the fourth quarter when they report. And yet they only have 8% of the global market. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah, I just think that this is a really interesting story. And, you know, I think, you know, yeah, you know, you always look at a stock, oh, wow, it's up 130%. Can I buy it now? Well, you know, I don't recommend chasing anything, but, you know, we are foolish investors and we like to look long term. And when you look long term, you have to look at that addressable market and say, in the market share today and say, well, there's still opportunity for growth here. So this is a name maybe to put on a watch list. Yep, $18 billion company and still growing like bonkers. 
Thanks to Audible for supporting our podcast. For our audience, Audible is offering a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial. If you want to listen to it, Audible has it. Just go to audible.com fool or text fool to 500-500 and browse their unmatched selection of audio content. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Millions of Audible members access performances by entertainers, magazines, and amazing narrators. I, for one, am a big fan of Tim Ferriss, so I really enjoyed the four-hour work week. Our listeners also have been asking us tons of questions about Bitcoin lately. As I'm sure you've all seen in the news, it's making a ton of headlines. So if you're interested in learning more about it, I can also recommend the audiobook Crypto Assets, The Innovative Investor's Guide to Bitcoin and Beyond. Audible members get a credit every month, good for any audiobook regardless of price, and unused credits roll over to the next month. Didn't like your audiobook? You can exchange it, no questions asked. Get a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial at audible.com fool or text fool to 500-500. That is A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash F-O-O-L or text fool to 500-500. Our second stock of the day that we want to discuss is the biotech, and this one is Vertex. They are up roughly 100%, 103.4% in 2017. A nice double, a nice double. And you know, people who followed this stock for the long term, uh, long for a number of years, they may remember that this stock, you know, made a lot of news in 2012, 2013 when it came out with a uh, a new hepatitis C drug. Well, you know. Gilead Science has basically ended demand for Vertex in that uh, indication, but they've reinvented themselves. In 2017, they made a tremendous amount of headway in uh, addressing a disease called cystic fibrosis. And Todd, I know you know a lot about how this disease functions. Can you give us a little bit of background about the patient population and how the disease works? Sure. There are about 75,000 people in the world uh, with cystic fibrosis. It is a genetic disorder, and unfortunately, there is no cure. Um, you know, there's there's limited treatment options, um, and sadly, because of that, uh, most patients, or I should say, the median, the median age is in the uh, of uh, that people live to is in their low 40s, which is is sad. So this is a an indication where there's a, a big unmet need for uh, new treatments that can um, extend patient life. And you know, to, to understand what we're talking about as far as the disease and what it does, primarily what this causes, to you know, give you a very high level feeling of this, is that you know, you've got mucus in your lungs and that mucus thickens up in cystic fibrosis patients because they don't produce uh, they have mutations to a gene that's important to you know, the allow how much salt is in uh, the cells within the lungs. And as that mucus builds up, obviously it gets harder and harder and thicker. It's harder to cough it out. And you can get infections and eventually um, have a really hard time breathing. There's also can cause some problems in the digestive tract at all. It's, you know, it's it definitely, a, it's a tough disease. And um, fortunately, uh, Vertex has rolled out a couple drugs that are starting to be used in more and more patients and hopefully kind of changing the paradigm for these patients and, and what they can expect over the course of their lives. 
Yeah, it's important to realize that there are 2,000 known mutations in the gene that we're talking about here. And the disease is called is caused when a child inherits two of the problematic defective uh, genes, one from each parent. And so there's a lot of variability in the patient population. So it's not the kind of disease where one drug will be effective for every single patient. And so that's really where Vertex's growth has come from, is they initially won approval in 2012 for their first drug uh, for cystic fibrosis, sorry, fibrosis caused by a very specific gene mutation, and this is Kaleidico. And since then, they've been able to expand the label of Kaleidico a good bit, and then move forward in experimenting with different combination drugs to try to treat an even wider and wider patient population. Yeah, I think now that they are able to be used to treat uh, up to 33 different mutations, and you know, essentially every year since that first approval they've won FDA approval to get used in more and more people. I mean, originally it was for use in older patients, and then you know, now you can use uh, uh, the drug in, in younger and younger patients. And you know, they rolled out a second drug, Orkambi, and you know, that opened up even more patients to this, to this therapy. Um, and, and they've got a pipeline that's making a lot of progress in 2017 and positions them to treat even more patients over time. And I think that that's probably one of the big, you know, stories of 2017 or that drove the stock up was the fact that, you know, they reported very good results from from mid-stage trials of a, of a triple, triple uh, three-drug combination that eventually could allow them to address up to 90% of the 75,000 people um, diagnosed with this disease. And, you know, just to put that in perspective, Christine, you know, that would be more than a doubling uh, of the addressable market that they can treat with their two drugs today. Which is absolutely incredible. And they do have a long way to go. Um, they're in phase two currently with these triple combination therapies. But as you mentioned, they had an absolutely phenomenal year in the clinic, really positive result after positive result. One note that I, I do want to discuss with this um, this company, because we've lately been talking a lot about gene therapies, it got me thinking, are they eventually going to be? Uh, so right now, their drug is a, a chronic drug where it it eases your symptoms, but it doesn't necessarily cure the disease. And so it got me thinking: Are they going to be out of business when and if a gene therapy comes along for this disease? And so I was poking around trying to see whether anybody is working on that, and it turns out they are. They're actually <laughs> collaborating with CRISPR Therapeutics using the CRISPR-Cas9 technique to treat the disease via gene editing. And this is so so early stage that they're. There's hardly any information out there about it, but I still think it's a kind of cool thing to note. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, obviously, if you can figure out a way to to rewrite the gene so it's producing the protein um, adequately, I mean, that that's 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 the holy grail for the indication. You know, if you go back in listeners who are interested in this stock, go and, and check out the third quarter earnings conference call. Read through the transcript uh, in the question and answer section. I believe they talk a little bit about this. It's a very complex um, problem to solve. So I, I wouldn't expect that we're any going to see anything in the way of gene uh, gene editing or uh, like Chris, the CRISPR drug or anything like that for a while. Um, so it could be years before that comes out. But still, you know, that would be just remarkable, a remarkable advance. I think nearer term, you know, for investors that they have to focus on is is you know a potential approval in February of a of a 
two drug combination from Vertex um, that could increase the addressable patient population to 44,000. So a 50% increase from where we are today as far as an addressable market, that could drive sales up in 2018 into 2019. And as we were talking about in the prior, with the prior stock, you know, again, as you're increasing sales and leveraging them against fixed costs, that you know, is going to translate into greater and greater profitability for this company. So, you know, you've got some pretty pretty bold expectations for uh, bottom line growth at Vertex. And, you know, I, I think that, again, you know, I hate to say chase a stock up 100%, but it's a very intriguing company. It's targeting a very important unmet need in this in cystic fibrosis. And, um, you know, they're already doing about $2 billion a year in sales, you know, and that's not even treating half of the address of, of patients. All right, let's turn to our third and final stock of the day, which is Centene Corporation. They're up 78.5% over 2017. And they're an insurer, which is just crazy. I mean, all you hear is how insurers have struggled due to Obamacare. But these guys have been the total opposite. They have found success in the Affordable Care Act. Uh, you know, this is really kind of surprising, right, Christine? I mean, after, you know, the Republicans swept Washington, D.C. in 2016, I think everybody came into 2017 thinking, you know, repeal and replace of Obamacare is not going to be good for insurers that still participate on the exchanges and thus not good for a company like Centene, which has its roots in Medicaid, but over the past two years has been making a very big push into the marketplaces. So for it to more than triple the return of the S&P 500 this past year is indeed pretty remarkable. Yeah, and the reason for it, as you just alluded to, is that they have their roots in managed Medicaid. And this is a patient population that is fairly similar to the Obamacare patient population. Generally, the types of businesses that dabble in Medicaid need to be pretty lean because they'll typically uh, spend out a higher percentage of the premiums that they take in from the people that they insure on patient care for those same people. And so if you're going to be spending out a higher percentage on the care itself, you need to keep your other spending, your your SG&A, as a percentage of revenue fairly low. And they're pretty good at this. If you look at their numbers, their SG&A as a percentage of revenue is under 10%. And you compare that to some of the bigger insurers like United Healthcare or Anthem. And these companies are spending 15% and 14% respectively. And so that's that's delivering fairly important savings when you consider that Centene also spent about 88% of premiums on member health care in Q3. You compare that with United Healthcare at 81%, Anthem at 86%, and you can see why it's important that this business nails that low-cost strategy and how they've been able to then translate that into an effective strategy on the Obamacare exchanges. Right. I mean, I think that, you know, the media coverage has pretty much said that, wow, you can't make money if you're an insurer on Obamacare. Well, that's not necessarily true. What we've seen is the Medicaid companies that have embraced Obamacare have done okay. As a matter of fact, I think Centene's uh, industry analysts are projecting they'll they'll make about 5% uh, profit margin on the Obamacare plan. Compared to so many other insurers that aren't even profitable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, United Healthcare got out of the business entirely mm-hmm. because they were losing hundreds of millions of dollars on it. And again, they had a much higher cost structure because they got most of their business through the employer-based 
insure uh, insurance market. That's where they can generate most of their business. It's a very different market than Centene. And what's interesting about Centene is, I mean, you had all of this talk this past year in 2017, heading into 2017, the first quarter of 2017, repeal, replace, repeal, replace, repeal, replace. But as those efforts failed, investors started to say, well, you know what? Maybe the fact that, you know, Centene has expanded into Obamacare and these you know, efforts to repeal Obamacare are kind of falling flat, maybe they're still going to be able to make as much money in 2017 as they did in 2016. And if they expand in 2018 in the marketplaces, which they are, they're going into three more states in 2018, that 2018 will be even a better year for them than 2017. Now, make no mistake, Christine, right, this is still a Medicaid uh, company. I think that's about 70% of their uh, membership is still Medicaid, but this is an important new market for them. I think they get about four billion in uh, premiums um, from the insurance marketplace, and they're using this growth, this revenue that's coming in, and leveraging it again against their low low cost structure to fuel other interesting um, uh, ways of expanding their business. For example, in September, they announced that they're entering the New York market with a acquisition of a company called Fidelis, which is gonna, uh, it, it's one of the fastest growing uh, managed care, uh, government, handling government programs in New York. And you know that's gonna put them in a leadership position in the four largest Medicaid states. So you know, you've got a company that's gone from 11 billion in revenue back in 2013 to 48 billion or something like that in 2017. And they're now projecting that in 2018, they'll see their their revenue go to 60 billion. So, you know, this is this is one of those situations where you've got an insurer, which you think of as being a kind of a slow growth business, that's really kind of knocking the cover off the ball and growing very quickly. Yeah, it's interesting. And going forward with all the political uncertainty, do you think that they will be able to deliver in 2018 and beyond? I do. I do. You know, one of the interesting quirks, I mean, you can say, well, well, there have been a few things that have happened that kind of still disrupted the Obamacare marketplace in 2018, right? You had the, the cost sharing issue, removing those payments um, that are used to reduce co-insurance and co-pays for some low-income enrollees. And that's, you know, the sweet spot of who Centene helps in, in the exchanges. Removing those um, theoretically could be a headwind and getting rid of the mandate could theoretically be a headwind in 2018 for Centene. But, you know, I think you, you look at both of those and you say, well, Centene knew that the cost sharing reduction stuff was going away. So they priced their plans and the premiums for 2018 to reflect that. So I don't think that that's going to be uh, a headwind for them in 2018. And even though the Obamacare enrollment period was shrunk considerably, Christine, over the, from versus last year, you still had roughly the same amount of people sign up um, through the, the healthcare.gov marketplace this enrollment period. So I think that they're probably still going to deliver their 1 million members uh, in 2018. If they can do that and continue to do you know control costs like they have been, then yeah, I think they have a really good shot of growing their growing their EPS next year. I think they're looking at 486 to 504 for 2017, and I think in 2018 at their December conference they guided for 547 to 587 in EPS. That's that's 20 percent plus EPS growth. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. 
All right, Todd, thank you a bunch. Um, before we sign off, next week is the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference, and I know plenty of our listeners work in the medical field, so if any of you are going to be there, drop me a line. I will be there as well, and I'd love to say hello. Our email address is industryfocus at fool.com, and even if you're not going to be there, make sure to be checking fool.com because Todd and all of our healthcare writers will certainly be covering all of the news sure to come out of the conference. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Big shout out to our producer, Austin Morgan, for making us sound far better than we otherwise would in 2018 and beyond. For Todd Campbell, I'm Christine Hargis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!